Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and D&D enthusiasts in general. Welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. I am joined, I am Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my co-host, Sir Lucian. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. And we have special there. guest, Questing Beast, which I just realized where this is, This I'm recording this right now, and I have your name as Matt Coville because I forgot to change it. <laughs> So I'll take uh, it. this is that. a professional. Uh, yeah, we're super professional broadcast system. <laughs> so let's. So we got change a couple of that. viewers already in there. While you're doing that, we got Wandering Disciple and Cyberwolf have joined back up. They keep showing up on Saturday mornings, especially Cyberwolf. See him all the time. Him or her or they. No discrimination here. There we go. Now it's fixed. So it's all fixed. those wonderful. Maybe I'll edit that out. We'll say, hello! No, we'll start Starting again. over. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we have Questing Beast with us here, uh, Mr. Ben, and he runs a channel over on YouTube called Questing Beast. Uh, tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel, Ben. So uh, the YouTube channel is focused on uh, map-making tutorials and on uh, reviews of old-school role-playing games. It's mostly what I focus on. That's awesome. And uh, specifically, like, OSR stuff, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so not old books, but new stuff for old systems. Right, right, right. So, what is OSR for those of us and myself included who don't really understand it or know what it is? <laughs> yeah. So, I keep running into people who don't know what OSR is, and I, I use the term all the time. So, I'm probably confusing a lot of people. Oh no, uh, of course o- not. <laughs> OSR, OSR just stands for uh, old school. Um, the R can stand for lots of things: um, revolution, renaissance, usually renaissance. Um, it, t- it refers to the movement within D&D to look at older rule sets um, like BX D&D or AD&D or even original D&D and uh, write new content for it or update those systems or rewrite the systems with your house rules um, and just build more material for that. Okay, that's really awesome. So it's sorry, just to summarize, taking like an older system, but but uh, this because that's free now or is that open source? They're able to like create new content for it. Is that kind of the idea? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Ever since uh, third edition, open license, they've been able to take all of the old rules. And there's a lot of what's called retro clones now, where they take old rule sets and they rewrite them, but they clarify them to make them easier to read. Because frankly, a lot of the old rule sets are very difficult to read. Um, they're just not well organized, not well explained. So mm-hmm. they fix that. They streamline the rules so that people can easily write new content for them. Do you have yeah. a favorite and- system or anything? Like from There's this OSR, of, when when I'm playing something that's like fairly traditionally D and D, I usually either do um, BX D and D version by Mold Bay, or I do Lamentations of the Flame Princess, which is sort of a an updated version of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting too because that that whole revolution's kind of started in the last three years. It's gotten bigger, like. I remember seeing they had just like a smaller room. Uh, there were a lot of people who were playing it, but there's more and more rooms like a Gen Con now that are totally dedicated to just OSR. And there's hundreds of people in there. So it's like, I think the word renaissance is a great uh, word for it because I think a lot of people are jumping back to it to get back into those that old school style of gaming. It was a good style of gaming to play um, those type of games, that sword and sorcery, low magic um, rule sets dangerous rule sets too <laughs> that is a big focus yeah like you start out if you're a wizard you might start out with one hit point and one spell yeah. and it's like you could just die so you play very differently um it's 
more like uh, a cross between Indiana Jones and like survival horror um, in terms of the tone, because everything is so deadly. You play very carefully, you play very tactically. Um, is Dungeon Crawl Classics considered OSR stuff? Yeah, um, I, I should point out that um, in the last five or six years, there's really been a shift. People aren't making retro clones so much anymore. That that work has already been done. Those rules are easily available. People are now taking the uh, style and the the DM principles from old school role playing, and they're developing new games based on those principles. So Dungeon Call Classics is a, an example of that. It's very recognizably D&D, but it has lots of rule innovations in it. And you even see stuff like uh, Into the Odd is a good example, where it's like a super tight um, set where you only have like three stats and there's no to hit rolls. You just automatically do damage. So it takes the OSR style and shrinks it down to something even faster and more deadly. So you have people going in both directions. What Fast other time. principles... Where, like you mentioned, that there's they're taking kind of con- principles or like concepts or ideas from it. What what other ideas are they taking from these older? Like to me, being a dungeon master is being a dungeon master no matter what system you're playing. So, what is it that's like key for those if they're not taking like game mechanics? OSR can refer to the the rule set or it can refer to the style of play. Oh, so the okay. style of play the style of play generally refers to I mean no one completely agrees on this because there isn't like one <laughs> definition of this which is fine because everyone plays it slightly differently. But generally it involves things like high lethality. Um so you have to be very careful and every time you get into a fight you could actually die. Into a fight is much more uh, should we actually do this. Mm-hmm. Um it tends to revolve around very player led campaigns which means uh, uh, XP for gold, usually. Okay. So, like, treasure is out there in the world, and players on their own plan how they're going to get it and what risks they're going to take, and the GM is more reactive. Um, it, so, going along with that, you have a lot of open worlds and a lot of sandbox-style play. A lot of emphasis on player choices making a really big difference and on like things like random tables. So, the GM is more of a referee than a storyteller, he sets up the world. He has a lot of interesting hooks and interesting things going on, and then sets and then uh, steps back and lets the players decide what they're going to do. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and that even kind of mentions a little. You just put a video out last night that was really good. I was watching it late, <laughs> so I was about to go to bed, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" He just put a video out, and he talked about um, XP for gold, which mm-hmm. was kind of a, a, a way to give XP back in the day, and even was kind of advocating a little bit you know, maybe thinking about doing it even now in the games that you're in now, because it might be a way to, it helps change the focus of your players and maybe, or at least focus them on a different aspect of the game versus, Hey, I need to kill another troll because that's going to get me to level three because that'll be 450 XP or whatever it is versus wait a minute. If we just go and steal this 500 gold piece chest, and we can get away with it. We've just got 500 XP for our character. So it was really, if you haven't seen that video you put out last night, it was really good about, you know, maybe thinking about using the the XP to gold as a reward. As one of the ones, you know, because he, he mentions in the video, and I'm sure he'll talk about it a little bit here, that, you know, there's um, Milestone, there's, you know, Monster XP, Gold for XP. There's a lot of different versions out there. And it's just, I always like uh, how you're, your channel gives people a lot of options to bring into their games, you know, little pieces. You don't have to do everything you say. Just if you like this piece, grab it and put it in your game. If you like this piece, grab it and put it in your game. So it's really good for that if you check his channel out. A big focus in uh, the OSR. People sometimes call the OSR DIY D&D 
it's just another name for the basically the same thing mm -hmm. where the this focus is really on you building your own world but there are a huge number of really good osr books out there but most of them people don't run as is they're intentionally very modular you can just grab bits and pieces you can grab monsters spells like little dungeons adventures npcs and because they're all more or less based on the same rule set they're all very compatible with each other so you can just assemble your own stuff through the pieces that you like. Yeah, it's very cool. What made you uh, fall in love with OSR and like indie RPGs and stuff? Like, why not? This might be a dumb question, but like, why not just play Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> um, so I started out playing Pathfinder um, about five years ago or so, and then we moved into Fifth Edition. And I like Fifth Edition better. I just like games that are a lot faster mm -hmm. and uh, get get to the interesting decisions much more quickly. And in a lot of the, uh, in Pathfinder and 5th edition, combat takes a long time. It usually doesn't in OSR games because it's so deadly. So it's, you know if, you, if you've made a good decision or not very quickly uh, when, <laughs> when a fight starts. Like, should I have actually done this or should I have run? Right. Um, and, and just all the resolution mechanics are much quicker. Uh, you can typically, once you get used to OSR mechanics, you can make a character in five, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Full. And, and they slowly grow into more complex characters over the course of the campaign rather than starting as complicated. Um, so a lot of people talk about OSR characters as being the backstory of a fifth edition character. Oh, that's in, very interesting. You, you, you grow into a hero rather than starting as a hero. So it's, it's kind of like an origin story. I really like that about it. Yeah, that was, uh, I played an online stream of Dungeon Crawl Classics, and we each made like six characters, I think, because we knew that they yeah. were going to die. Um, and it's amazing how attached I got to those characters. Like, I was or, like, or no, survive, like, right? yeah, because you really are rooting for them to survive because all, and then also I was hoping, like, it was a one shot, but I'm like, I really wish we would kept playing because now that I have this one guy that survived, I really want to see where he can go. Like, what is he going to be now that he's level one? You know, it was fairly common uh, from what I understand um, back in the day to not play with just one character. Like you would, you would roll up a whole bunch of different characters. You'd only play one at a time, mm -hmm. but if you went to someone else's house and played in their campaign, yeah, I pull out this other character that I made a while back. You play with him for a while and you switch back and forth between different characters that you played. It wasn't that like I am this one character and I'm totally dedicated to just them. You had kind of a stable of characters. And if one died off, that was sad because maybe you were attached to him, but not a big deal. I have this other character over mm -hmm. here too. So that's very cool. Now I noticed too that um on again on your channel is really nice, is that you you also kind of review a lot of third party lore or setting type material which is if you're looking for something that's not just the standard pathfinders world dnd's world you know forgotten realms which is pushed really big right now for the last couple of years or what is uh pathfinders was galorian or galorian i don't know how to pronounce it but that was their big world um but you're you're really kind of showcasing some of the really other i hadn't even heard of them but they are fantastic and it's so good to hear about them um, where are you finding these? How are you stumbling upon them? Are they being sent by like uh, viewers of yours or are you just, you have this perfect bookstore that has all that stuff in it? No, uh, I mostly hear about that stuff through Google plus, which is where uh, most of the OSR writers just congregate. Um, there's, there's a big RPG community in general on Google plus for some reason. No one else uses it. Apparently it's just us. No, it's true. Um, <laughs> it's really great for that. Um, so, over the last couple of years, I've just made contact with most of these people and I just, I'm in conversations with them. So I hear about stuff that they make. 
So um, it was one of the big reasons why I got into the OSR was the ridiculously high quality that people are putting out, not just rule sets, but, you know, monster manuals and uh, adventures and settings um, of just ridiculously high quality, like objectively better than stuff Wizards of the Coast is putting out, both in terms of like art design, in terms of book construction quality, in terms of sheer amount of density of good information. Um, and like they often put it by one or two people, and I was just blown away by how good they were. Yeah, there's some of them. them. I mean, totally Jordan bought like a couple community. of them. <laughs> yeah, I bought uh, Hot Springs Island and uh, well, Vornheim because of mm -hmm. your videos specifically. This was before we knew each other, I think, before we were friends and I was watching your channel. And I was just like, man, like, what is, like, this Vornheim thing solved, like, a dozen problems that I had with my characters uh, and rather than, and I was running in the Forgotten Realms, but rather than trying to put them in um, the city of Waterdeep and actually like learn the city of Waterdeep, I used the Vornheim mechanics to create a city, um, which was yeah. really cool and really like useful and simple and, um, and then made it feel fleshed out, which was really impressive to my players. So. Yeah. And then the book's like 64 pages long. It's like yeah. this tiny little book. But every single page is just hyper dense with information and all of the information is like immediately usable and will make your game better. Yeah. And like there's, there's no like just random fluff in it. And that's something that I, that's a pattern throughout a lot of the OSR stuff. So you got anything coming up that you could uh, tease a little bit, not necessarily give it away, but you got anything good that we're going to be seeing coming out pretty soon? News, uh, the ones that I'm working on right now are a couple books from the Melzonian Arts Council. And uh, one of them is Fever Swamp which was kickstarted recently and the crypts of endormancy, which are both small adventures. Crypts is a small dungeon and fever swamp is a small hex crawl. It's really interesting. That book's doing something interesting with taking a hex crawl, which is usually like a big book and really condensing it down to a very small page count um, with a lot of interesting stuff in it. Oh, very interesting. I'm going to keep my eyes out for that. I'm trying to do a hex. I'm in a pre hex crawl campaign right now. Okay. Getting ready to do a real hex crawl, but I wanted to test some things out first. So I'm definitely always interested in more seeing how other people did their hex crawls or more rules that I might be able to use in mine. So that's awesome. Can't wait to see it then. <laughs> Do you have any favorite books off the top of your head that you like just this is something that everybody should have in their library if they run D&D? &D? <laughs> Let me see if I can pull a couple out here. I have some on the shelf. Vornheim's definitely one of those. Yeah. If you're going to run going to run a city campaign, then you need Vornheim. Um, cause it covers pretty much all of the mechanics you would need to make adventuring there. Interesting. Uh, hot springs Island is a, you kind of see the light reflecting off of the cool little skull there. Um, that's a Island hex crawl with mm -hmm. a lot of dense, uh, factions and monsters and so on. Um, maze of the blue Medusa. Oh yeah. It's a really artsy fartsy weird dungeon that takes place in like another dimension. Um, the physical print of that is sold out, but I think they're planning to reprint it possibly through Lamentations of the Flame Princess, but you can get the PDF still. <coughs> Those are some of the really big ones. Oh, in terms of monster manuals, you have to get uh, Fire on the Velvet Horizon and, uh, Bor and not Bornheim, Veins of the Earth. So these books oh, are both written thick. by... <laughs> yeah. Um, so Veins of the Earth is a book that makes the Underdark usable. Oh. So it's like Vornheim. It's Vornheim for the Underdark, except that it's this thick. Yeah, yeah, okay. You 50 new Underdark monsters. It gives you rules for randomly generating caves and cave systems and um, 
exploration rules, light rules. It's really, really good and really scary. Yeah. Stuart um, wrote this. Yeah. No, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, specifically, I guess I want to talk about Hot Springs Island because I just bought it and I just finished reading through it. Um, and you had a tweet out where somebody was talking about like running a hex crawl or something. And these people were saying like, Oh, run tomb of annihilation. And you were like, don't run tomb of annihilation Buy hot springs Island and run that instead. Um, and now having read both, like I've read tomb of annihilation and I think it's a really quality product. Like they, they wizards of the coast makes decent products like for their, for their adventure storylines. Um, but hot springs Island was, super interesting in that it's going to change every single time you play it because of the random roll tables. And it seems overly complicated at first, or maybe this was my perspective, like, like tomb of annihilation is complex, but really it's like, okay, you're, they have a point to get to. They have like this and this and this and this, whereas hot springs Island, the players really decide which faction they want to follow. They decide which, um, which person they want to support and through that support changes the whole storyline. So there's no, what's the word? I guess I want to say it's like open-ended in the sense that you get to discover and, and decide who wins. Like how does hot Springs Island finish? It's up to you. Right. Uh, I, I think the authors referred to the Island as a powder keg. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just, you just like touch one thing and then everything just spirals out of control because everything's so interconnected. And it's interesting playing a game like that where I read the whole book and now I kind of understand the factions and I understand all this other stuff. And I guess that's a true hex crawl because now that I understand, now Jordan, the DM understands all of this stuff and I sit down and I um, play through this game, like it's actually easier to run than something like Tomb of Annihilation, I would say. Um, There's just that like you read through the whole adventure probably twice and you'll get everything you need to get out of it. And then it's random roll tables and it's whatever. I feel like I had a question in there somewhere, but now I'm just gushing about hot Springs Island. So, <laughs> well, like the, the main downside of hot Springs Island and most people point this out is that whenever you go to a new location, especially to like a dungeon or one of the more complex ones, you're supposed to roll all of the encounters for it. Yeah. Which, which can take a while. And then um, also it's system neutral, so he doesn't give you any stats for anything. However, both of those problems are solved. So if you go to my review on my channel and look in the description, there are now uh, random roll generators online, where if you go to like some huge dungeon, you click one button and boom, it generates everything that's in it um, instantly. Mm -hmm. Written all the stats for all the monsters for fifth edition or for old school role playing games. So no excuses yeah. anymore all that yeah. stuff no, is done no, just yeah. have your your tablet open at your uh at the table and you can just or roll up ahead of time like if you know that they're going to go to x y and z i guess so and the easier you make it for dms the more we'll get of those out there to dm games so that's always good uh, we did have a question from chat that i thought was pretty good uh talking about maze rats how long it, did it take you from first getting the idea for maze rats to actually publishing the product uh, it's really hard to say. <laughs> it's really hard to say because I am unbelievably fickle in terms of my uh, game design. So Maze Rats was part of an ongoing project to write a RPG for the fifth grade kids that I teach. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And most of my gaming is done in after school clubs where I run games for them. And I was just like trying different systems out because you, you can teach them fifth edition, but it's just too slow. It takes too long, especially when you have like not a lot of time to run games. So I was just trying out different things. And I started writing 
a role-playing game for them. And it went through lots of iterations. So maybe a year, depending on how many iterations you want to count um, before I actually put it out. Yeah. Nice. Just one little quick follow-up. They're asking, is there going to be a second edition of Maze Rats? Uh, doesn't look like it. I can't think of, I mean, Maze Rats, the rules for Maze Rats are one page long. So it's like a second edition would be like, I would tweak one or two rules. So it doesn't seem like it's really mm -hmm. worth it. Mo most of the value in the game is that I wrote uh, 80 random tables, um, each of which has 36 entries on it. And you can use those to generate um, randomized monsters, random treasure, random wildernesses, uh, dungeons, cities, NPCs, um, magic spells, everything that you would need, and with, with a lot of variety. So you can basically roll that stuff on the fly if you need to, or it can help you do a lot of prep. Folds together into like a, a pamphlet that you can print out on your computer. So you can just print it out at home, staple it, and boom, you have the book, and you can just hand it out to people. So I designed it that way so I can just give it to all my kids. Nice. Um, so I think that's the main utility that it has. It's kind of like Nate. Uh, Nate from WASD is doing a lot of content now about having D&D or role-playing games in the classroom and using that as a teaching tool for the young people that he's working with. He's also a teacher, too. And they can, uh, so that's cool. You know, another person that's using that to teach the younger generation the game uh, for other skills, but also just to have fun, you know, in a, in a fantasy world and such. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting the the conceptions people have about teaching kids D and D because the assumption that I generally see is that you want it to make it very easy and you want to go easy on them and they should have a ton of agency and they shouldn't ever die, which is the opposite of how I run it for kids. Right? Hmm. In, in, in my games, you have very low hit points. It's Crush very hard their to survive, <laughs> and they die constantly. And, and that makes the game so much better. They don't care. They love yeah. it. Um, and yeah. whenever whenever they get a new level it's that osr feeling of i earned that level that level is mine mm. because you know i i was smart enough to get to that point and, and didn't die um so like I, I would run a campaign and there would be like there was this one girl at the end who had never died once and she was at like level six and everyone else was at level two because they just died over and over and she had like a tremendous feeling of accomplishment because of that adversity builds character for sure that's you have to do that <laughs> On the flip side, if that six year or level six girl loses her character, is that is that crushing? Have you seen that happen? Or if you die, you die. Though I'm I'm very I, I'm very clear on what the stakes are with okay. them. Like there's no like just random death. It's that's another OSR principle is that the level of uh, the more dangerous something is, generally the more obvious it should be. Death, if there's a situation that's really lethal, it should be pretty obviously lethal. Mm. So players can choose to circumvent it or find an alternate solution. Or Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so that, say they only die by their own mistakes. It's really the... Or die that's unless you, it was, not because, clearly yeah. their fault. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not the DM vendetta or there or was the no dice, way you were getting out of this trap. The trap was made to kill you. Like the old school, some of them old school dungeons were, you know, just there was nothing you could do. You were just going to die type thing. Now, you also do map making on your channel. Um, um, go ahead. It looked like you started that way, right? Isn't that how your channel kind of started? Yeah. Um, it, it originally started when I started teaching. I was in a really long meeting, like some training seminar that went on for like six hours so to stay sane <laughs> to stay sane i was in the back just like doodling a map because i've done that since i was a kid i was uh -huh. just i just always just loved doing that and um i posted it on reddit and it kind of blew up on reddit everyone really liked it 
and people ask me how I drew it. So I'm like, because I was um, teaching with Andrew Armstrong from Don's Forge cast. He was at the same school as me. Oh, I knew okay. he had a YouTube channel. So I'm like, hey, I'll make one too and just show people how to draw these maps. And it kind of went off from there. Oh, interesting. Um, do you have any suggestions for how to, well, I guess just doodling and stuff, but like, like you said, you've been drawing maps for a long time. Like what got you, have you been doing commissions? Like, are you, are you that involved in it or is it still just like a doodling hobby? I occasionally do commissions. Um, I don't do them as much anymore, but uh, I am open to commissions if people want, want to commission me to do something. Um, I, I've just been doing it as a kid from, I guess, reading Lord of the Rings. And okay. just wanting to draw a map like that. I had a, a wide group of friends who are all super nerds and we didn't play RPGs, but we were really into fantasy fiction. And we yeah. had this gigantic collaborative fantasy world that we built up over the course of years. And we were all drawing the maps. We had this map that was like four pages by three pages, like all taped together that we put up on a wall, <laughs> slowly evolved into there's multiple iterations of it over the years. So yeah, that was something yeah, I've just done. I, I want to play in that world now. Now that sounds awesome. <laughs> I've, thought, I've thought about that many times, but I don't know where the map is. I think it's gone somewhere. Have you created your own fantasy world and drawn maps for it and stuff? Of like one specific world uh, at the moment. I've been thinking a lot more about that though, about developing a really fleshed out like campaign setting mm-hmm. to run like uh, the fifth graders through more consistently. But I tend to run modules or I tend to run dungeons. Mm-hmm. Um, because my sessions are usually fairly short. Okay, interesting. And when you say short, that could mean anything to anybody. Are you talking like a two or three hour session? Or are you talking about a four? Right. What are you talking? I'm not hearing you. Oh, your mic cut one, out a little bit. Go ahead. One, one hour. Oh. One hour session. Okay, so that is short. To me, short would have been two hours. Okay, all right. After school club, so it's like it's only like an hour long. Um, so you have to have it very you know, densely packed with interesting stuff. So you have to get to it right away. That usually means a dungeon because like you have interesting decisions right off the bat. Do you ever have any kid? now that I'm just thinking about kids in D and D where they get combative with each other? Like I want this and you want that and uh, try to kill one another or something like that. Or I trip so-and-so's character. <laughs> uh, that, that's pretty much constant. Like uh, when you're running with fifth graders, um, a large percentage of the game is crowd control. Um, I usually just disallow that sort of thing. I'm yeah. just like, just from a metagame point of view, like you're not allowed to interfere with each other. We just, we just move past it. Yeah. Otherwise it's, they, they spend the whole hour just like trying to stab each other. Yeah. Just they think it's <laughs> <laughs> Typical kids. Yeah. You got to go at them like uh, for left for dead that if you don't have your group, you're going to die. So you better like use lot. teamwork. <laughs> yeah. I, I reinforce that a lot. They're like, I don't want to go with those guys. I want to go this way. And he just wanders off on his own and dies. It's like, well, aside from your fifth grader that you're running games for, are you in any games? Are you running any games right now? Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're playing? That's it for my role playing right now. I've occasionally played in some online games with some G plus people. Um, I was in like a play test for Maze of Blue Medusa and uh, a couple other games. Uh, that was a while back. I- I'm probably going to be getting into a real world campaign fairly soon. I know some people who are running a, a real world game that I want to ingratiate myself with and get into that. Cause it's been a long time since I've been a player for kids for so long before you want some adults to play with. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. And you mean like at a table when you say real world, right? At an actual table. That's how I, yeah, yeah. Play. you want to sit down, have that. That's what Jordan's always, 
I'm I'm the online player. I'm always gathering the people to come and play with Roll Twenty or any of the virtual tabletops, gathering people from all over. Jordan's the at the table, and we're we we have those different perspectives. Mm. And I just I'd like the table. I just can't find enough people to bring them to the table every week that are going to show up every week. Yeah, and apparently I have the same problem as I don't end up playing D and D on a consistent basis because <laughs> everyone's so busy. But yeah, it happens. But I, I, played, I love... I played four games last week, so... Yeah. <laughs> I just, like, I love sitting at the table, and I, you know, you just have your beverage, and you have your friends, and the conversation can can flow so easily away from the game uh, to just what we're doing in real life, and then it flows back to, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to focus at the game, and that's fun for me. Like, I really enjoy that. My being on uh, playing over the internet and I guess the only games that I've played over the internet have been streaming games. And then you have the, the, the weight on your shoulders of like, this has to be interesting because you're streaming and you can't just like, Oh, let me tell you about this time. My dog was funny. Uh, so you kind of have to like focus on that, but I don't know. I need to, pl- I need to run a game for solution and maybe for you too, since you want to play um, and see about uh, how, how I can use these roll 20 like things because i've never really touched on running online games it, it's intimidating me i guess roll 20 intimidates me but it should yeah, yeah. We, we always <laughs> have a virtual seat open for you ben if you want to come join a game i'm running one shots or campaigns all the time so you definitely have if you want to find a place to play you've got one <laughs> usually um i know roll 20 can be fairly intimidating i haven't tried to actually dm anything on that mm-hmm. um i usually just use hangouts um because osr games typically don't really need like miniatures or like an exact right. layout, although although Elo can help. Um, so many tools on on Roll Twenty. I know Cody Lewis is sort of the expert on that, but yeah, he was. I think he's moved to uh, Fantasy Grounds now. He seems to be a big Fantasy Grounds guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Roll Twenty. That's that's how I found Roll Twenty was through Cody, and then jumped on it because it just seemed like it was one I could pick up and do. And I like using it now um, with the games. But you are right. You can do any gaming if you're going to do theater of the mind with the map and the description of the, the location works on any you can Google Hangouts, Skype, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think those one, the other ones come in handy if you really want miniature play or more tactical combat, right. but it will slow combat down too. So it's going to make the, those combats feel a little longer. Like we went six rounds just the other night and it was at least an hour battle to get through six rounds just because everybody's being very careful about how they're counting their squares and moving around and thinking like it's a chess game and, but it's fun for them. So they're having a good time, but um, you know, just different ways to think about it, but I love it. I dynamic lighting when they, when I throw them in a dungeon and it only lights up what their character can actually see as they move from one corridor to the next. And then they can't see what's behind them anymore is, is fantastic. Cool. I really like that. Uh, speaking of then uh, games, what are you running? What did you do this week in games, Mister uh, Lucian? Oh, so for me, super busy week. Um, so we ran our Monday Night Storm King's Thunder game, which is uh, my chance to run a full Wizards of the Coast product that a bunch of friends wanted to play. So we're doing Storm King's Thunder. We're in chapter five-ish at this point, halfway through the module, um, and they. They got an airship that they crashed. So the, the episode went pretty good. You know how you have an investigative episode where everybody's asking a lot of questions. They're trying to figure out something. So it could be slow if you're just watching it or that you're, there's not a lot of action happening. But then at the very end, uh, their airship gets attacked and it crash lands. So we have this big 
airship down moment in the wintry Norse of the spine uh, world, uh, spine of the world mountains. Mm-hmm. So you can think of all those movies about where a plane crashes in the wintry snow and now all of a sudden they're stranded kind of thing. So they're all super worried about it uh, for next Monday's game. So that was pretty good, but a pretty standard. They were looking around for something. They finally found it. They stayed a little too long. Some creatures came to mess with them kind of uh, session. So it was pretty fun. Um, Tuesday night got rescheduled. We had one player that couldn't make it, had a flat tire. So we that's the one campaign where if somebody can't make it, we don't go. Like the other ones, we'll play if somebody's not there and we'll just kind of wing it. But this is the one campaign where if one person doesn't make it, then we just reschedule. So that one's been moved again. That was a Tomb of Annihilation game that I'm playing in. Um then Wednesday night happened. Now, Wednesday night was a fantastic game. I did Crypts of Kalimvor, which if you were at... Oh, that's right. If you read uh, the Dragon Plus Magazine, issue 18, that came out this month. Um, I see my dog going by in the background here. Yeah, I think <laughs> mine 18, ran back and forth, too. So <laughs> there, was a, you know, there was a developer from the Neverwinter MMORPG built a fifth edition stamp you know one one off kind of adventure and i thought oh what a cool thing to do i'm gonna play it to test it out and see how it goes and i went and i got uh one of our subscribers to the channel um i offered to anybody that subscribed to the channel during our show that they could jump into the game and we had uh, indoor adventure picked up on that we had a brand new player from here in town um she went in on, and then we brought in graybeard who's a regular on most of all my shows and they gelled fantastically. They got into their characters. They had voices. They've been talking in Discord for two weeks about their backgrounds and how they know each other. And how I mean, they are going full bore on this game that we played for like th- three hours. And they spent more time in Discord before that just talking about characters. <laughs> so I love it when the players are so into their own characters. Yeah. It just makes the game so much more fun. And so that was really good. It's a, it's a dungeon delve. Go straight into the crypts. They fought some zombies, had the epic D&D 5e zombie thing right now where they would get the thing down to zero, it would fall down, but it kept making the constitution save. So these zombies kept coming back to one point, rising up, fighting. The battle took forever, but they finally made it through it. They went through a white like it was nothing, just creamed right through it, and now they're going to finish out. The one shot is turning into, uh, Jordan will recognize this, a two shot because I can never (laughs) get a one shot in one session. It just never works out that way, so i got to do a two shot. Um, so that was really good. The adventure is good. I've got the map all in and roll 20. They're moving around. The dynamic lighting's fantastic. We got music that atmospheric plays to it. And they were all in, they were all in like voices and everything. So it was really good adventure. Had a really good time. We're going to play again on Wednesday to finish it out. Thursday's my borderlands, which I keep calling my pre hex crawl game. It's where I'm testing out weird rules, like survival rules. Like if they, they have to roll on their rations. Here's one that they do with their, and every day they have a ration in their pack has the chance that it might spoil. So when they oh. roll a ration in the morning, they have to roll higher than the number of days they've been out in the wilderness. So if it's like day five, they roll a D20. If they roll under five, the ration they pulled out was rotted. They have to pick out another one, right? So they keep rolling really low. They keep running through rations like crazy. It's a big funny thing for them. So I'm trying out all these weird rules to make it a little more survival, a little more open world. Um, and the session went fantastic. They, they cleared out a, a temple. They met a, uh, a deity of a lost civilization, and there was a big fight. I did the big reveal. You know how um, I've seen it on like DM suggestions where they say, bring your super big bad guy for your campaign in early 
like when they're first level or something, when there's no possible way they can beat them, just to introduce this super powerful character so that they can see, oh my God, this, you know, seventh level sorcerer walks in. You guys are first level. There's nothing you can do about this guy. But eventually you're going to get there and you're going to defeat that guy. So I brought that guy in, the, the evil druid we've been talking about. Came in, wrapped them all up, did this big monologue, you know, the, the supervillain monologue. And then they escaped, and now they know who their big bad guy is, but he's super tough, so they have to figure out what they're going to do about it. And it's an evil druid. You know, I haven't done a campaign where the evil druid was the big bad guy, so I think that's going to be fun. Um, and then, so that was all those games that I did, which was super funny. And then Greybeard kind of explained all of last week's gaming was Monday night was the game where you can't wait to see how it all turns out, even though maybe an individual session or two may not be interesting, but you're so hooked into where it's going to go at the end, you keep watching. So mm -hmm. that was my Monday night game. Uh, Wednesday night was full-on anime, like crazy characters. <laughs> the The party is a black dragon, dragonborn, a Yuan-T with tail. Oh, nice. Yuan-T and then a kobold. So it's like monsters for hire almost for those guys. Great voices and everything. So that's like an anime show. And then he was describing our Borderlands game, which is going really good because they're really into the role-playing part of it. That was like Game of Thrones. So he was like, that's what he got to play. So it was like really good because he's in all three of them. So that was my super busy week. And foreshadow for tomorrow, I have an interview with CJ um, from Don't Stop Thinking, who runs a D&D uh, YouTube channel also about helping people get into D&D, playing D&D, helping DMs out and that kind of stuff too. So super busy, super busy week. This next week's going to be the same. Uh, but how was Jordan's week in D&D? Well, I wanted to, before I do that, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. That Kelimvor uh, module, yeah. is that something that they made in the game? Like, is it an is it a, a crypt to explore in the game that they just converted over for 5th edition? Is that kind of the I idea? believe, yeah, in the description of the module, it said that this is a quest that happens in their game mm -hmm. and converted to work as a standalone D&D 5e adventure. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely that way. And there's some MMO elements to it because like you have to go around and you have to light some uh, braziers to relight a bunch of them, which is a very MMORPG kind of thing to do. To, you have to touch these things in the area and then you have to do this one other thing and that finally opens the door that mm -hmm. you need to get through kind of thing. So this module kind of follows that same thing and it is based loosely on one of their adventures that is in the game. Okay, cool. And then my second question is, where did you come up with that spoiled rations idea? Or was that just something? I was trying to figure out. Because that's clever. Here, here's I like what it that. Is. Here's what it is. And it probably Ben is going to be able to say, well, you should just do this. Because here's what my problem was. I want to run a hex crawl, right? And so a hex crawl in my mind is the players go out, they do something, they come back to town. All in one session. I don't want any more sessions where we're out and then we have to cut the game off and come back and pick up again out there i want it to go out do stuff come back every time mm -hmm. and to allow if we have different players that they can jump in because we're at town again we go out we come back now different players could do something the whole hex crawl thing i was trying to figure out how do i make them come back to town my players would not come back to town there was nothing they needed in town so they would just stay out forever and I, it was hard for me to work in oh hey we have a new player person that's going to play again how do they get to the group that's out there so to me, I really wanted to come up with a way that rations were hard to find and they have not been able to use their survival skills very hard. I made that very hard for them to find enough food to feed the whole group. 
as a way to force them back to town. Okay. And, and so I'm just trying it out. I know it's it's not necessarily working out the way I want it to, but it's like one step of it. What's the what's the downside for running out of food or eating spoiled food? Is it just exhaustion levels or Yeah. Well, yeah. it starts with a couple of exhaustion levels, but then it goes into poison levels. And if you get poisoned, that's way worse than just exhaustion because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have disadvantage on a bunch of stuff if you're poisoned. So if it goes it goes a couple of levels in, then all of a sudden you get the poison condition for 5th edition, and that's bad news at that point. And then a good question from chat, how did you get it all into Roll20? Or is this Roll20 compliant? <laughs> yeah, well, it's just uh, I, I created a, a guide or a sheet that showed the players what the rules were. And then in the morning when they wake up is when we decided we would do the, the ration roll. And that's when they make their rolls. So when, when in the morning at camp, they all make their rolls. Okay. And they all know that part. And the other rule I did was another thing to try to get them to go back to camp was if they roll a one, so a fumble, instead of doing a fumble, I have it minus one from the weapon as if it's been damaged in some way. And now it requires a blacksmith or a boyer or somebody to fix that to bring that thing back up to normal level. As again, to say, okay, if they get a couple of ones and all of a sudden their axe is minus two, they might be thinking, man, we need to get back to the blacksmith because I don't want to keep running around with my minus two axe out here type thing. So I was looking for little things that would force them to say, we want to go out, do something and come back, not just go out and stay out forever for months and months. And yeah. Months. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. Um, I saw Ben nodding. He's like, oh, yeah, minus to uh, your, yeah. your weapons. <laughs> yeah, well, um, that's not like a, a standard rule in, in OSR stuff. But like, I really like the idea of weapon degradation over time and weapon breakage and armor breakage and stuff. So like what, what I've been tinkering with is giving weapons uh, like a quality rating, like usually around three. And then armor has a quality rating as well, like going up to maybe seven for like really good armor. And then you can like change the prices of weapons based on what the quality is. But just like you were saying, if you like attack with a weapon and you roll a one, you just like mark off a quality box. And then when they all run out, the weapon breaks. Yeah, because I wanted that to go down. Yeah, 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 I wanted the the idea that something could break in their hand. Would um, go with armor too. So like if someone attacks, someone attacks you and rolls a twenty, it marks off a box on your armor. Yeah, that's what I did too. I did. I, if they, too, yeah. if they get a critical hit against them, their armor they get a minus one AC. It's broken a plate or it's broken mm. a strap, and now it so it's, it goes down by minus one or it breaks the shield if it happens to be a shield. So I did put that in. If the if the creature gets a crit against them, their AC gets, starts to go down. So you're in your case, solution. It's almost uh, you just wear the armor till you get a better benefit from not wearing the armor, like, right? <laughs> <laughs> or you so go that, back to town. Yeah. And you have the blacksmith fix everything, fix which is really, for money and yeah. stuff. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, Would, and I needed, I needed money sinks, right? Cause you, yeah. there's no good D and D money sink no. at a certain point is the problem is the real problem. Here, uh, here's what I'm doing. Like I'm trying to find a way to make money sinks as well. Um, and I'm trying to find a way to do it with spells actually. So right, right, right now what I'm, I'm tinkering with is I'm tinkering with a system to run old school games. Like it's really compatible with it but in which uh, there aren't any classes and everyone can kind of do everything. So what I want to do with magic is I want to make magic completely spell, uh, scroll-based. Book, and you have to copy it onto, onto a scroll when, before you cast it. So everyone uses scrolls now. And that's a way to like, because like you want to write a ninth level spell, it costs a ton of money because like the expenses is more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, money sinks. Because I want to be able to put the old school style of money hoard that you used to get. You would go into a dungeon and come out with a couple thousand gold pieces would be no no big deal. Whereas in 5th fifth, fifth edition, it doesn't feel that way as much from the adventures I've been running. Um, and then, okay, so your, your characters have 10,000 gold. What are they going to spend it on at this point? I mean, they need stuff to be able to spend it on. So that was just the idea of forcing that to help run the game. Do you have any magic weapons in your game, Lucian, that's like, are the do the magic weapons have quality loss, or is that the fact that they're magic, they don't have quality loss? Or? That was the thing. That was the benefit of a magic item, that it did not, it's not affected by those two rules that okay. I did. So uh, a magic item resists, because they're too, they're more durable, and the enchantment uh, resists that effect. So, so then those finding those is even, even more Yeah, because I didn't want to break somebody's like plus five flame sword or something, you know, and it just <laughs> dies and goes away. But uh, maybe I will. Maybe I'll be that mean at some point. I'm pretty stingy. I they I read this thing where they said you could play D&D 5e with no magic items and the game is balanced without any magic items at all. If your character never got a single one, the game can still play. Your character can still play with all the abilities they're given. And so I played a pretty stingy magic item thing um, so far. So I, I probably should try a high magic one to see how it goes. But I've been pretty stingy with magic stuff interesting i've seen more and more people talk about um like quality degradation in in weapons and armor and i think what's causing it is breath of the wild yeah oh the definitely. video game yeah. everyone's playing zelda in which all of your weapons and armor break over time so you have to constantly get new stuff and try out different strategies mm. i think that's influencing a lot of people and MMOs in general, like lots of games have been kind of doing some of those things and and zelda's super popular and yeah i think there's our RPG games are starting to benefit from some of the things that are done in computer games that are really fun, right? And I think that's where computer games got really big over 80s and 90s because RPGs were kind of fun, but then MMOs gave you that instant satisfaction, gave you that, oh, I don't have a group, I can still go out and play, so maybe I'll just go play Skyrim or I'll go play these other things because I don't have a D&D group. And now I think it's coming back around again where they're saying, wait, these RPGs are really fun, they're starting to have some of those cool get-into-the-game-action-fast mechanics. They can compete with that computer game, you know, and the community grows. It means it's easier to find a game to be in, where if the community is really small, it's hard to find people to play with. So now you're left back, oh, well, I'm going to play Baldur's Gate, or I'm going to go play Skyrim, or I'm going to play World of Warcraft, because it's RPG at least, as much as I can get, you know. So, But I think because the, the community is growing now again, I think RPG Tabletops is coming back. It's a full circle. Like the whole, early, all of the early video games yeah. were almost all of them were based on D and D. Basically, set the standard for what video games were like. Like the idea of having levels and experience mm -hmm. points and having a player character and all of this stuff is like D and D invented it, and now it's coming back. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, boy, we're almost at time, I guess. But I'll really quickly talk about games that I played because I actually played D and D this week, which was crazy. Yay. Um, you, you mean you ran D&D? Or I ran D&D, right? &D, yes. There you go. I ran D&D. &D. <laughs> um, and really, my session was just a big lore dump. So uh, they met up with a um, some some other travelers in the desert, 
And this was like their first kind of like hint at like, oh, there's civilization. And so they were saying, you, we, you, we're going to split up and you can either go back to town or you can go talk to these um, Yuanti that I'm going to go talk to. And they decided to go with the guy and talk to the Yuanti. But either way, it was going to be this like travel montage of them asking questions. And then um, I was rolling on some random tables, but nothing exciting happened. So I just kind of forgo that and, and allowed them to ask a bunch of questions on their travel. But um, they discovered that there is an, another adventuring group called Indiegogo, um, run by two people named Indy and Gogo. <laughs> and they're uh, <laughs> sorceress twins that are doing an excavation site, and they're trying to dig up um, an inverted pyramid. So there's this, this pyramid that's inverted in the desert, buried under the sand, and they're digging it up. And, and that's going to be like the next group or the next uh, dungeon for my players to kind of explore. It's going to be this inverted pyramid where they start at the top and their goal is to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I made, I should just show these kind of bent, but I made, um, let me move this so I can actually see myself. So I made this. So like, this is the base of the pyramid and then it gets smaller and smaller until finally they get to the, the bottom of it. And that was just a kind of a fun like I went to um, Don John or Don Yon, uh, which is like a dungeon. And I made a video about it, but like, it's like a, you can create these dungeons. And so I kind of just made a bigger dungeon and then a smaller one and smaller one. So I'm really excited that when we start playing it, um, if they're going to like map out the area, I can be like, you're here and then reveal that and kind of like go down, down, down. But before then they ran into a bunch of Yuanti and they're going to have to either negotiate or fight these Yuanti. We'll see what happens. Um, but they're not nice people. So yeah. And that was really fun. Um, it's been a month, maybe five weeks since I played D&D with my group or ran D&D for my group. And I just really miss it. And you were kind of tr- linking it back around. You were talking about running a high magic or low magic, um, like magic item things. I definitely have um, high magic because I think magic items are fun. So I started giving it out. But I'm noticing now that I should not have been doing that. Like my players are so overpowered and have so many like little tricks now that it really bothers me that uh i I throw monsters at them and they're just kind of like oh they'll just like wipe the board like a a, an encounter that should be deadly like 100 percent should be deadly they have little to no problems because of their magic items and all the tricks they have um but that being said they had fun they're having fun so you know kind of what it comes down to i just wish i could challenge them a little bit more yeah it works for them (laughs) yeah for sure. Yeah, I kind of one of the ideas I had thought about was playing a game where there are no character levels. You you are basically the farmer or the bartender or whatever it is. You get no levels, but you pick up the dropped magic item of a of a party, an adventure party that had died or perished, mm-hmm. and you've decided to take up their cause. The only thing that allows you to become better is to find better magic items. There's no leveling up. Yeah. There's no, I learned this cool new uh, tornado s- sword swing. None of that. It's You better go find a plus four sword if you want to hit better than when you were with a plus three sword. And I thought, I wonder if that would be fun for players that it's all gear reliant. Like it's not person reliant. You are a normal person at all times. You're eights all across the board until these items make you something different. I thought that might be an interesting short campaign, maybe not a super long campaign, but an interesting short campaign to play. That's awesome. Two people do play games like that long-term. Like I know 
uh, Traveler is like that. And in Traveler, you're just like a guy in space. And that's it. Like, there is no leveling. If you want to get better at your skills, you have to train it in real time. Like, you want to be a better pilot? Get ready to spend two years in Flight Academy. <laughs> um, nice. That sort of thing. So it's, it's all about, like, getting better gear, upgrading your spaceship, yeah. building your reputation, and stuff like that. That's how you get better. Yeah, that's cool. I'm makes thinking it, about it. Makes it easy to die if your hit points don't go up. <laughs> Unless the right. whole that game makes doesn't it a have deadly a deadly game the whole time. Say what? Yeah, so you better get good AC. You better get yeah. a magic item that gives you a hit point buffer. I guess Those so, kinds yeah. of things. Because, yeah, you might just have 10 hit points the whole time you're playing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to the end of our show. Um, but before we go, uh, Mr. Ben, Mr. Questing Beast, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash questingbeast or on uh, Twitter at uh, Benjamilt is my uh, Twitter handle um, or on Patreon, patreon.com slash patreon.com slash questingbeast. And what do you, you have a lot of rewards for your Patreon, don't you? Like what kind of. Yeah. So um, I recently switched it so that all patrons get all rewards. Nice. So um, no matter what you pledge, you get all the rewards, which is um, I have a discord setup where we talk about old school role-playing games. Um, when I put out PDFs and rules, play tests and things like that, you get those for free. So you can uh, check those out ahead of time. And I do monthly uh, private live shows with just my patrons. Oh, that's where we really do cool. map making or game design or whatever. And we just talk about whatever they want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Please check out all of those awesome links because uh, you, you have a great YouTube channel. Um, we're like neck and neck now in subscribers. I don't know if you knew that. Like <laughs> Challenge thrown down. I, I, I watch it. I'm just like, oh, he's like 100 away. Like he's creeping up on me so quick. And so <laughs> it, He's running outside it, getting signatures on, on paper. Just come on, just YouTube right here. Just click it. <laughs> it blew up. Like it took me four years to get to 10,000 views. It was really slow growth. And then over the last three months, I got 7,000 subscribers. Yeah, that's awesome. All of a sudden, I don't know where it came from, but I'll take it. Yeah, no, it's super fun. You should definitely check out his YouTube channel. Lots of great videos. Like I said, um, specifically like uh, Vornheim or uh, Hot Springs Island, like those those videos are really in-depth with the book and you can decide if you want to buy it or not. And it sold me. Like I totally picked him up because of his videos. So yeah, you guys should check him out. Um, yeah, they should sponsor your show. They're, you're doing such a good job. Lamentations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, guys. Little sponsors. Uh, Sir Lucian, where can people find you on the internet? Aside from right here on Twitch where people are watching it right yeah. now. <laughs> right here all the time. Like, if you're here, you know you found us, which is really good. But you can also find, if you miss anything, where typically you can find me over on YouTube.com forward slash Sir Lucian, one word, L-U-C-I-E-N. I know sometimes people use an A-N, but it's I-E-N. Um, I do Twitch shows Monday and now Wednesday. Um, I should be streaming my thursday show because it's so good but those guys are just friends that weren't too sure about streaming gaming so we'll, we'll work on them and then we do a saturday morning DD show which you're here for thanks for coming because me and jordan have a great time doing this every saturday morning and then i have a sunday night show also that is typically touching on things that aren't DD. so you can check that out at uh, 9 p.m eastern here at the channel too and then on twitter you can find me at at sir lucian gaming because somebody already had sir lucian so it's all one word, Sir Lucian Gaming. And those are all the places you can find me. And I'm going to Gen Con. So if you're going to be out at Gen Con, you can definitely, we can do a meetup or a hookup and we can uh, check you. I'm going to be playing games, running games. So you guys can swing by and uh, hang out. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and be sure, yeah, to check out uh, your show tomorrow is called The Standard Array, and you have uh, that special yeah. guest, CJ, from Don't Stop Thinking. So be sure to check Don't that out, thinking. guys. It's going to be awesome. Um, as for me, if you're watching this on YouTube, you know who I am. Uh, but there will be links in the doobly-doo to all of these guys, their channels, and, and their various things. Uh, and so thank you guys so much for coming out today and for watching the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Ben, you were a fantastic guest. Thanks so much for being with us and answering a bunch of questions, a barrage of questions, I guess, as we touched on many of the aspects of the things that you do. Um, and, and, and maybe you'll come back. Hopefully this won't be the only time you come. Oh, yeah, for sure. We should us. have you back. Time. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, guys, we will see you uh, next Saturday for another edition of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Goodbye. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.